0: Part two of Terror Out of Space by Lee Douglas Brackett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part two. The first thing Lundy knew about was the stillness a dead feeling as though everything in creation had stopped breathing. The second thing was his body. It hurt like hell, and it was hot and it didn't like the thick, foul air it was getting. Lundy pushed himself into a sitting position and tried to boot his brain into action. It was hard work, because someone had split his head open four ways with an axe. It wasn't really dark in the cabin. A wavering silver glow, almost like moonlight, came in through the ports. Lundy could see pretty well. He could see Farrell's body sprawled out on the floor— AND A MESS OF JUNK THAT HAD ONCE BEEN EQUIPMENT. HE COULD SEE THE SAFE. HE LOOKED AT IT A LONG TIME. THERE WASN'T MUCH TO LOOK AT. JUST AN OPEN SAFE WITH NOTHING IN IT, AND A PIECE OF BLACK CLOTH DROPPED ON THE FLOOR. Oh LORD, WHISPERED LUNDY, "Oh MY LORD. EVERYTHING HIT HIM AT ONCE THEN. THERE WASN'T MUCH IN HIM BUT HIS STOMACH, AND THAT WAS TIED DOWN but it tried hard to come up. Presently the spasm stopped, and then Lundy heard the knocking. It wasn't very loud. It had a slow, easy rhythm, as though the knocker had a lot of time and didn't care when he got in. It came from the airlock panel. Lundy got up. Slowly, cold as a toad's belly and as white. His lips drew back from his teeth and stayed there frozen. The knocking kept on, a sleepy kind of sound. The guy outside could afford to wait. Sometime that locked door was going to open and he could wait. He wasn't in a hurry. He would never be in a hurry. Lundy looked all around the cabin. He didn't speak. He looked sideways out of the port. There was water out there, the black seawater of Venus, clear and black like deep night. There was level sand spreading away from the ship. The silver light came up out of it, some kind of phosphorescence as bright as moonlight and faintly tinged with green. Black sea-water, silver sand. The guy kept on knocking at the door, slow and easy, patient. One, two, one, two, just off beat with Lundy's heart. Lundy went to the inner cabin, walking steadily. He looked around carefully, and then went back. He stopped by the lock-panel. "'Okay, Jackie,' he said. "'In a minute, in a minute, boy.' Then he turned and went very fast to the port-locker and got a quart-bottle out of its shock-cradle, and raised it. It took both hands." After a while he dropped the bottle and stood still, not looking at anything until he stopped shaking. Then he pulled his vac-suit down off its hook and climbed into it. His face was gray and quite blank. He took all the oxygen cylinders he could carry, emergency rations, and all the benzodrine and the medicine cabinet. He put the dose in the stimulant down on top of the brandy before he locked his helmet. He didn't bother with the needle gun. He took the two service blasters, his own and Smith's. The gentle knocking didn't stop. He stood for a moment looking at the open safe and the black cloth draped beside it. Something cruel came into his face—a tightness, a twitching and setting of the muscles, and a terrible look of patience. Being underwater wouldn't bother a thing from outer space. He reached up and lifted the net of tight woven metal mesh down off its hook and fastened it on his belt. Then he walked over and opened the airlock door. Black water swirled in around his weighted boots, and then the door opened wide and Jackie Smith came in. He'd been waiting in the flooded lock chamber, kicking his boots against the inner door, easy, with the slow breathing of the sea. Now the water pushed his feet down and held him upright from behind, so he could walk in and stand looking at Lundy. A big blond man with green eyes and white bandages strapped under his open black tunic, looking at Lundy. Not long, only for a second, but long enough. Lundy stopped himself after the third scream. He had to, because he knew if he screamed again he'd never stop. By that time the black water had pushed Jackie Smith away, over to the opposite wall, and covered his face. "'Oh, Lord,' whispered Lundy. "'Oh, Lord, what did he see before he drowned?' No one answered. The black water pushed at Lundy, rising high around him, trying to take him over to Jackie Smith. Lundy's mouth began to twitch." He shut his teeth on his lower lip, holding it, holding his throat. He began to run clumsily, fighting the water, and then he stopped that too. He walked, not looking behind him, out into the flooded lock. The door slid behind him automatically. He walked out across the firm green silver sand, swallowing the blood that ran in his mouth and choked him. He didn't hurry. He was going to be walking for a long, long time from the position of the ship when it fell he ought to be able to make it to the coast, unless it had been working on him, so the figures on the dials hadn't been there at all. He checked his direction, adjusted the pressure control in his vac suit, and plodded on in the eerie undersea moonlight. It wasn't hard going. If he didn't hit a deep somewhere or meet something too big to handle— or furnish a meal for some species of hungry Venus-weed, he ought to live to face up to the old man at HQ and tell him two men were dead, the ship lost, and the job messed to hell and gone. It was beautiful down there, like the dream worlds you see when you're doped or delirious. The phosphorescence rose up into the black water and danced there in wavering whirls of cold fire. Fish... Queer gaudy little things with jeweled eyes flicked past Lundy in darts of sudden color, and there were great strands of weed like young forests spangling the dark water and the phosphorescent glow, with huge burning spots of blue and purple and green and silver—flowers. Lundy got too close to some of them once. They reached out and opened round mouths full of spines and sucked at him hungrily. The fish gave them a wide berth. After that so did Lundy. He hadn't been walking more than half an hour when he hit the road. It was a perfectly good road, running straight across the sand. Here and there it was cracked, with some of the huge square blocks pushed up or tipped aside, but it was still a good road, going somewhere. Lundy stood looking at it with cold prickles running up and down his spine. He'd heard about things like this. Nobody knew an awful lot about Venus yet. It was a young, tough, be-damned-to-you planet, and it was apt to give the Snoopy scientific guys a good swift boot in their store teeth. But even a young planet has a long past, and stories get around—legends, songs, folktales. It was pretty well accepted that a lot of Venus that was underwater now hadn't been once, and vice versa. The old girl had her little whimsies while doing the preliminary mock-up of her permanent face. So, once upon a time, this road had crossed a plain under a hot pearl-gray sky, going somewhere, taking caravans from the seacoast, probably, bales of spices and spider silk and casks of vaki from the Nahali canebrakes, and silver-haired slave girls from the highlands of the Cloud People going along under sultry green leha trees to be sold. Now it crossed the plain of glowing sand under still black water. The only trees that shadowed it were tall weeds with brilliant hungry flowers, and the only creatures that followed it were little fish with jeweled eyes. But it was still there, still ready, still going somewhere. It was headed the same way Lundy was. It must have made a bend somewhere and turned to meet him. Lundy licked cold sweat off his lips and stepped out on it. He stepped slow and careful, like a man coming alone down the aisle of an empty church. He walked on the road for a long time. The weeds crowded in thicker along its edges. It seemed to run right through a dense forest of them that spread away as far as Lundy could see on either side. He was glad of the road. It was wide, and if he stayed in the middle of it the flowers couldn't reach him. It got darker because of the weeds covering the sand. Whatever made the phosphorescence didn't like being crowded that way, and pretty soon it was so dark that Lundy had to switch on the light in the top of his helmet. In the edges of the beam he could see the weed fronds moving lazily with the slow breathing of the sea. The flowers were brighter here. They hung like lamps in the black water, burning with a light that seemed to come out of themselves. Sullen reds and angry yellows and coldly vicious blues. Lundy didn't like them. The weeds grew in, thicker and closer. They bulged out from their roots in over the stone edges. The flowers opened their bright hungry mouths and yearned at Lundy, reaching, reaching, not quite touching, not yet. He was tired. The brandy and the benzodrine began to die in him. He changed his oxygen cylinder. That helped, but not much. He took more dope, but he was afraid to go heavy on it lest he drive his heart too hard. His legs turned numb. He hadn't slept for a long time. Tracking feral hadn't been any breeze, and taking him, and it had been plain and fancy hell. Lundy was only human. He was tired, bushed, cooked, beat to the socks. He sat down and rested a while, turning off his light to save the battery. The flowers watched him, glowing in the dark. He closed his eyes, but he could still feel them watching and waiting. After a minute or two he got up and went on. The weeds grew thicker and taller and heavier with flowers more benzadrine and damn the heart. The helmet-light cut a cold white tunnel through the blackness. He followed it, walking faster. Weed fronds met and interlaced high above him, closing him in. Flowers bent inward, downward. Their petals almost brushed him, fleshy petals, hungry and alive. He started to run, over the wheel ruts and the worn hollows of the road that still went somewhere under the Black Sea. Lundy ran clumsily for a long time between the dark and pressing walls. The flowers got closer. They got close enough to catch his vac-suit, like hands grasping and slipping and grasping again. He began to use the blaster. He burned off a lot of them that way. They didn't like it. They began swaying in from their roots and down from the laced ceiling over his head. They hurt. They were angry. Lundy ran, sobbing without tears. The road did him in. It crossed him up suddenly, without warning. It ran along smoothly under the tunnel of weeds, and then it was a broken, jumbled mass of huge stone blocks tipped up and thrown around like something a giant's kid got tired of playing with and the weeds had found places to stand in between them. Lundy tripped and fell, cracking his head against the back of his helmet. For a moment all he could see was bright light flashing. Then that stopped, and he realized he must have jarred a connection loose somewhere because his own light went out. He began to crawl over a great tilted block. The flowers burned bright in the darkness, bright and close. "'Very close!' Lundy opened his mouth. Nothing came out but a hoarse animal whimper. He was still holding the blaster. He fired it off a couple of times, and then he was on top of the block, lying flat on his belly. He knew it was the end of the line, because he couldn't move any more. The bright flowers came down through the dark. Lundy lay watching them. His face was quite blank. His dark eyes held a stubborn hatred, but nothing else. He watched the flowers fasten on his vac-suit and start working. Then from up ahead, through the dark, close tunnel of the weeds, he saw the light. It flared out suddenly like lightning, a sheet of hot, bright gold crackling out like a whipped banner lighting the end of the road, lighting the city and the little procession coming out of it. Lundy didn't believe any of it. He was half dead already, with his mind floating free of his body and beginning to be wrapped up in dark clouds. He watched what he saw incuriously. The golden light died down and then flared out twice more rhythmically. The road ran smooth again beyond the end of the tunnel, straight across a narrow plain. Beyond that the city rose. Lundy couldn't see much of it because of the weeds but it seemed to be a big city. There was a wall around it of green marble veined with a dusky rose, the edges worn round by centuries of water. There were broad gates of pure, untarnished gold, standing open on golden pintles. Beyond them was a vast square, paved in cloud-gray quartz, and the buildings rose around it like the castles Lundy remembered from earth and his childhood when there were clouds of a certain kind at sunset. That's what the whole place looked like, under the flaring golden light. Cloud cuckoo land at sunset, remote, dreaming in beauty, with the black water drawn across it like a veil, something never destroyed because it never existed. The creatures who came from between the golden gates and down the road were like tiny wisps of those clouds, torn free by some cold, wandering breeze, and driven away from the light. They came drifting toward Lundy. They didn't seem to be moving fast, but they must have been, because quite suddenly they were among the weeds. There were a lot of them, maybe forty or fifty. They seemed to be between three and four feet tall, and were all the same sad blue-gray twilight color. Lundy couldn't see what they were. They were vaguely man-shaped and vaguely finny, something that was more than vaguely something else, only he couldn't place it. He was suddenly beyond caring. The dull black curtain around his mind got a hole in it, and fear came shrieking through it. He could feel the working and pulling of his vac-suit, where the flowers were chewing on it as though it were his own skin. He could feel sweat running cold on his body. In a minute that would be seawater running, and then— Lundy began to fight, his lips peeled back off his teeth. But he didn't make any noise except his heavy breathing. He fought the flowers, partly with a blaster, partly with brute strength, no science, no thought, just the last blind struggle of an animal that didn't want to die. The flowers held him, they smothered him, crushed him down, wrapped him in lovely burning petals of destruction. He seared a lot of them, but there were always more. Lundy didn't fight long. He lay on his back, his knees drawn up a little toward a rigid, knotted belly, blind with sweat, his heart kicking him like a logger's boot, cold, tense, waiting. And then the flowers went away. They didn't want to. They went reluctantly, drawing back and snarling like cats robbed of a fat mouse, making small, hungry feints at him. But they went. Lundy came nearer fanning off for keeps then than he ever had. Reaction wrung him out like a wet bar rag. His heart quit beating, his body jerked like something on a string. Then, through a mist that might have been sweat or tears or the edge of the hereafter, he saw the little blue-gray people looking down at him. They hovered in a cloud above him, holding place with membranes as fluttering and delicate as bird calls on a windy day. The membranes ran between arm and leg members, both of which had thin, flat swimming webs. There were suckers on the legs, about where the heels would have been if they'd had feet. Their bodies were slender and supple, and definitely feminine without having any of the usual human characteristics. They were beautiful." They weren't like anything Lundy had ever seen before, or even dreamed about, but they were beautiful. They had faces, queer little pixie things without noses. Their mouths were round and tiny and rather sweet, but their eyes were their dominant feature. Huge, round, golden eyes, with pupils of deep brown, soft eyes, gentle, inquiring, it made Lundy feel like crying, and so scared that it made him mad. The flowers kept weaving around, hopefully. When one got too close to Lundy, one of the little people would slap it gently, the way you would pat a dog and shoo it away. Do you live? End of part two